Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Stocks in Asia look set to rally after U.S. benchmarks halted a three-day slide. Investors seem to be migrating to value from growth. Companies are signs of a strengthening labor market in the U.S. tempered some inflation worries. Futures pointed higher in Japan, Hong Kong and Australia. Treasuries rallied from the prior session's weakness, sparked by stronger-than-expected consumer price inflation data. All right, so today we are discussing whether you should sell in May and go away. It's a well-known financial world adage, and it's based on the historical underperformance of stocks in the six-month period starting from May, the traditional summery period, and it ends in October compared to the wintry six-month period from November to April. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking there's no winter here. So does this apply, Michelle? There's no summer, no winter. It's hot throughout. Uh, well, the world does not revolve around Singapore, though. So if many investors follow this strategy and divest their equity holdings in May and then invest again in November or mid-autumn, what does this mean for you? Well, we're going to put um, Christopher Tan on the case. He's founder and CEO of Provident here to tell us if that investment adage has a, psych- a kernel of truth to it. Chris, good morning. Welcome to Money and Me. Hey, hi, good morning, Michelle. Good to be back. Always good to have you. So sell in May and go away. Do you see any truth to this adage and any uh, relevance to where we are today? Well, I think historical data have uh, generally supported this uh, sell in May and go away adage over the years and, you know, since 1945. Mm. So usually between or rather between November and April during that period, since 1945, the S&P 500 index gained a cumulative about six months average of uh, 6.7% compared to an average gain of about 2% between May and October. So it seems like well, the data supports this. There's really nothing superstitious about it. I mean, what is causing this to happen is that usually uh, in the period from November to April, I mean, we have seasonal factors such as, you know, year-end bonuses, people start to spend, so that's good for companies, right? And uh, what we call uh, Santa Claus rally, well, which refers to the stock market's tendency to rally in the last few weeks of December mm-hmm. into the first few months of the new year. So all this played an important role in causing, you know, this period for the stock market to do better. And then, well, while growth in, uh, or rather in, in March or, or February or March, usually the market's a bit weak. And then the market goes up again in April because people are all waiting for the release of the first quarter results. Like last month, you know, April was a good year, a good month for the market. Um, well, this is in contrast well, with the period between May to October, which, well, after the results are out, maybe people are less optimistic. So, well, the numbers doesn't seem to be so good. But I, I just want to say this, just in case I send the wrong signal, that everybody will sell in May and then go and buy in October. I just want to say that it is not always like that. It's not always. Let me just give you some examples, right? Please. So, yeah. November 2019 mm-hmm. to April 2020, very recent. So I'll say again, November 2019 to April 2020, supposed to be good. It was really bad, well, largely because of the pandemic. Yep. And then, of course, May to October of 2020, well, it's supposed to be not so good, right? Sell in May and go away. Well, the S&P 500, if you have gone away between this period of May 2020, oh. October 2020, you are going to miss a 16% gain of the S&P 500. 
<laughs> right? And then November 20 to April 2021, right? So, well, pretty good returns there. So it's uh, sort of like as expected. And more recently, the index actually rose 28% from end October to late April 2021. And well, some of SARS outbreak, if we remember, in O3, the S&P 500 declined by about 12.8% between January to March O3, supposedly okay period. And then, well, some of us will remember the global financial crisis in 2008. Well, it's supposed to be bad. But the S&P 500 after April, in fact, from May onwards, the markets rallied. So, well, if you believe in this adage, then you go away all the time. You are going to miss all these great returns. So don't go away when there's a crisis, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is that, well, the markets behave in an irrational manner. Mm-hmm. And so it's not always consistent. Yes, and always forward-looking as well. Okay, so um, should we be anticipating a market correction to avoid a loss. We're still in a weird period right now, Mm. reopening, not reopening. So are there any um, possible sectors that we should be looking away from that you're looking towards? Mm. Well, of course, if one is able to like anticipate the worst period of the market and avoid being the markets, great. You'll be able to avoid losses. And the same vein, I think if one is able to forecast when is the best time to get in, then he would be able to best capitalize on these opportunities. So, I mean, if you ask me today, if I if you take a gun and point at me and say, Chris, make a forecast, I don't care, you know, because this is not what usually we do, then I'll say that, no, we are at a stage whereby, and we all know this, and we are witnessing it right now, mm. the, the investment world is actually pretty worried about inflation, even though it's strange to say that we are right in the middle of a pandemic, not at, anywhere near getting out of it, but yet the world is so afraid of inflation, well, largely because the government is just printing lots of money, right? And if this is true, then, well, as you have said at the beginning of the program, avoid growth stocks because value generally would do better in an inflationary environment. Bonds also do not do as well in an inflationary environment because inflation basically eats up the coupons that you are getting. And also, I mean, yes, we are in the middle of a pandemic, but like you said earlier as well, uh, you know, the markets are forward-looking, right? So, well, the economy will improve and when the economy improves, and it is already actually making improvements there is this need for raw materials and commodities prices will go up and since many of these materials are transported via what we call dry bulk shipping which simply means you know those huge big ship you know that is is is, uh, shipping all this like iron you know uh, commodities like corn you know and all these things well shipping then is an interesting sector to look at as well but Guess what? I always say this. I could be wrong. Because if one is investing for the long term, then these short-term predictions really mean nothing, you know. And, and well, of course, you know exactly when you can get out and get back in. Then good for you. Mm. So why do we see value doing better than growth? Well, this is pretty, I would say, theoretical and technical. So let me go a bit slow on this. So when you buy a value stock, well, you are effectively buying a business that is relatively cheaper than the rest of the companies in the same category, right? So investors use different measures to determine whether a company is of value. And so the most common being P-E ratio. Well, some people use P-B, price to book ratio. So say if you use P-E ratio, price divided by earnings, right? So share price at the top numerator divided by earnings per share at the uh, the denominator. So let's say a value business has a P of five times. So that means P divided by E equals to five. 
that means you are buying at a price whereby it's five times the earnings of the company, the profitability of the company. What that means is that you are buying at a price that will take five years of the company's profit for you to recoup your investments. Growth companies, well, they are usually not as profitable in the short term, so their P.E. ratio is much larger. So people buy growth companies with the hope that one day, well, if they make it big, they really make it big. I mean, if like, for example, Grab, right? I mean, you are, if you buy Grab and when it's listed, you know, well, you, you, you hope that one day you'll be making lots of money for you. But now, but what all this means is this, when you are investing in a value store, you will be getting short-term earnings because, well, value companies, you are already getting an earnings. Whereas for growth companies, you may not see this profitability until much later. So the important practical point is this, is that in an inflationary environment, money now is worth more than money further down the line. It right? makes sense, right? Because when there's inflation, you want the money now. Money much later is going to worth a lot lesser. So for value stocks, you're getting the money now, right? But for growth stocks, you're not getting your profits until much later. And therefore, the further this future money is, the less it is worth. And it is for this reason. I know it's a long explanation, Misha. I'm sorry, but it's pretty technical. Yeah. It, it, the value um, um, stock tends to do better in an inflationary world. In fact, I'll say that Chris dedicated a whole show with us on value stocks. Yes, on value, that's yeah. right. A couple yeah. of uh, weeks, months back, I believe so. Two months, I think, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. worth listening to that again, particularly in this environment. So if we looked at the fixed income instruments like bonds, mm. um, how do they tend to do well in an environment like this where there's so many fears about inflation? Yeah, so like I mentioned, right, I mean, in an inflationary environment, I mean, you're getting, you getting coupons, right? But the thing about buying bonds is that the coupons are fixed from the time you buy your bonds, right? So let's say you buy a 10-year paper, you know, and it promises to pay you, say, 3% every year, right? Semi-annual every year, and you're getting 3%, and, and well, you're not going to get more just because inflation is going up. So mm. imagine this, right? You're getting 3% five years down, but in an inflationary world, this 3% is going to worth lesser, than today. And that's why bonds, usually when there is inflation, they don't do so well. And of course, the other thing is about bonds is true. It, the bond price, they move in opposite direction of interest rates, right? When interest rate goes up, bond prices goes down and vice versa. And usually what governments try to do when you know, inflation is going up sky high is that they try and increase interest rate to fight inflation, right? The logic is that if I increase interest, then maybe people will not borrow so much. And if they don't borrow so much, they spend lesser and I can cap uh, inflation. But well, again, once government starts to increase interest rate, then bond price go the other direction. So that's why bonds they generally don't do well in an inflationary environment. Okay. So today we were talking all this morning about how inflation is still on investors' minds, even if it took a backseat overnight. I mean, we looked at the latest stats showing wholesale prices in the U.S. rose more than expected in April. The producer price index spiked 6.2% in April, the largest increase since the U.S. Bureau of Labor stats even started tracking the data in 2010. Right. So concerns about rising prices have been tempering gains because investors worrying that inflation could force the Fed's hand, right, leading to mm. eventual raises in interest rates. So right. what is a concern investor to do in this environment? What do you suggest the mindset be? I mean, 
you know, if you try to uh, choose where to go or whether you should get out in the short term, I mean, you could be right or you could be very wrong. And so we always say don't look at the short term because anything can happen in the short term. If you are an investor and you are investing your serious money for the long term, I mean, have a diversified portfolio. I mean, we, we, we always say that. Have a diversified portfolio. Do not just invest in the local markets. But, and I mean, a lot of Singapore investors, we invest in the Singapore stock market. But it's, it's just too small. It's just too concentrated. That's the first thing. Don't just buy one stock or a few stocks. For your core portfolios, that's the place where you put your serious money, for example, your retirement money, your children's education money. Well, I'll say buy hundreds and hundreds of stocks via a fund or via ETF. Just buy an index uh, ETF, you know, don't, don't try to outguess the, the market and keep the cost low. In investing, it's always important to keep the cost low. And when I say cost low, what am I talking about? Well, if you're buying an ETF or you're buying a, a, a fund, try and find something that is below 0.2% to 0.3% per, per annum in terms of management fee. And actually, once you do that, stay invested for the long term. Well, once you've got that done and you want to you know, take a bit of your money, 5,000, 10,000, certain percentage of your money, and you want to go and trade and speculate you know, and buy crypto or whatever, okay, go do that. But, but for your serious money, please invest for the long term. Okay. And what do we mean by investing for the long term? What's the evidence that this works? Well, well, you know, we always say invest in the long term. And sometimes people, listeners here will say, oh, Chris, yeah, every advisor said that. You know, why? why? Is it because you want to keep our money and don't let us take it out? Well, maybe for some advisors, but I'll say that historical evidence supports that. Right? When, we, when, when you say, for example, the MSCI World Index or the S&P 500, and the reason why I keep using S&P 500 is because it has a very long history of about, say, 100 years. And in these 100 years, when we look back, we see that there are actually three to four major crises. Well, just to name some of them, 1928, Great Depression, mid-70s oil crisis, 2000, I'm sure you remember, Michelle, tech bubble burst, Mm -hmm. right? And then, of course, 2008, global financial crisis. But when we look at all these very big crises, well, one thing we learn from history, they always recover with time. How long? Well, the longest was probably the Great Depression. We took about 15 years before the S&P 500, you know, the, the annualized return became positive. But if we take away the Great Depression, which is really an outlier, it was about 10 years. That was when the tech bubble burst. Um, but my point is this, throughout history, through the markets, you know, the ups and downs of the market, it always recover, And the collective stock market always go up in the long run. So that is why we say time is of essence here. When you stay invested, well, you will not go too wrong. Okay, do we need a new playbook given uh, the world seems to have been turned topsy-turvy by the COVID pandemic? Do we need a new playbook on inflation and active management? Yeah, well, um, firstly, yeah, we hear of this all the time. You know, people say, this time is different. This time is different. Well, of course it's different. Every time is different. But what is the thing that doesn't change? Well, so if we look at what are the things that don't change, right? So when we look at what drives the long-term return of the stock market, well, it is really earnings or profitability of the company. Yep. Right? That is the main factor that drives the return of the company. But what drives profitability? Demand for goods and services drive profitability. What drives demand? Population growth. And as long as these three factors are present, 
I think we should look beyond the short term. I mean, yes, the pandemic is here. It's very sad that we're going through this period. But hey, look, you know, when Apple launched a, a, a new phone, you know, everybody still buys a phone, right? I mean, if you need certain goods and services, you will buy. Yes, maybe this period, maybe consumption will drop a bit. But if you are investing for the long term, and well, uh, you said it right, uh, as absolutely right at the beginning of the program, right? The stock market is a leading indicator, right? And this will be over. And so, well, don't look beyond the short term, look beyond the long term. And this is not something that only worked in the past. It works going forward in the future. The, 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 if, unless one thing happened, the, the whole world becomes communist. Nobody trades with each other, you know, and, and all that. Well, then perhaps this theory won't work anymore. All right. What do you say to the very real fears of investors that given the volatility of the markets and what they hear in the news, one minute Elon Musk is in crypto, next minute he says Tesla doesn't accept yeah. Bitcoin anymore. So yeah. what, what do they do to protect their portfolio given we understand we want to be marathon investors long term, but some think I'm not sure if I can stay invested in the long term. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much Elon Musk made after making that claim, you know. I mean, I'm sure before he made that claim, he saw all his Bitcoin away. <laughs> but, shorted. Uh, yeah, but, or, or shorted it, you're right, right? So, so well, um, I understand that. I mean, you know what we always say, invest in a long term, you know. Yes, we understand it in the head. I always joke that, but the heart cannot connect when the volatility of the markets happen, you know, and people start talking about, oh, the market is going to crash. Investors are scared, even though they understand the theory, but their heart can't take it, and then they get out of the market. So I'll say firstly, well, invest into something whereby you have the appetite to take that risk. How do you know whether you have the appetite to take that risk? Mm-hmm. So firstly, well, you ask yourself, whether do you need to take this risk to get the return? I mean, do you really need, I'm not talking about one, but do you really need to get 20-30% return, mm-hmm. right? So that's the first thing, because if you don't need it, then don't take such a huge risk. Secondly, do you have the ability to take that risk, right? I mean, by ability, I mean, do you have the time horizon? Do you, do you need the money in the short term? Are you afraid of losing your job? Is your financial health good you know is your insurance you know fully done you know fully covered these things affect your ability to take risk and after you ask that question ask yourself whether you are still willing to take that risk because if you have no need no ability and you are unwilling then perhaps you you would want to invest in a portfolio that doesn't have so much volatility something that you are comfortable with that you can sit for the long term. And well, if you're like that, I'll say that well, don't put all your monies into equities. Put some bonds in because the purpose of having bonds in your portfolio is to moderate the ups and downs of your portfolio so that, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride. You don't have to feel like you want to vomit. You, you can actually sit still for the long term, right? And well, last but not least, I mean, you can do all these things on your own. Great, do all these things on your own. Don't engage people like us because you save money by not using an advisor. But sometimes you can't. Then get a good advisor who is able to guide you, coach you, hold your hands through the ups and downs, ensuring that you get the best investment experience to achieve your life goals. All right, then. We've been looking at real-life examples and debating whether there's any truth in that seasonal pattern of sell in May and go away. You can make up your own mind about whether it's a good idea to divest and reinvest in October. Joining me this morning, Christopher Tan, founder and CEO of Provident. Have a great May, Christopher. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.